as we uh, as we were journeying the multiverse to level up our game and yours, Chev uncovered a whole new kind of podcast. What is that kind of podcast, Chev? It's a whole new world out there. Um, welcome to our first Once Upon a Time. We're going to dive deep into lore of uh, Innistrad, specifically the Shadows Over Innistrad block, which was the last time we were really on the plane as a kind of way to build you guys up for what's prop what's coming out what has started to already trickle out with story i thought story waited until set release um but what started trickle out with the new midnight hunt so this kind of leads us into where we are with that so this will be a pretty laid back style podcast um i'll be doing a lot of the the narration of the story officially from magic's website and you know we're just going to chill out and you guys are going to learn you some innistrad Julian and I will be heckling from the sidelines. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm super excited to edit this because it's going to basically just be like one continuous stream of Chev talking. And then I just have to like paste in the little bits where Eric and I say something rude. (laughs) Chev's got the water ready. He's hydrated. His throat is prepared. He's also ready to talk. All right. So we're we're getting into Innistrad's story. This is where kind of like everything begins. The beginning of Shadows over Innistrad. And Avacyn's only been out of the hell vault for for about a year uh that was one of the events of the original innistrad block um but humanity is making these these huge strides with their protector back against the the darkness and the various monsters of innistrad the vampires have been beaten back to kind of their weakest state in generations demons have been destroyed by the angelic forces and the werewolves of the plane have either become wolfier which is like human wolf hybrid but good uh, on the side of the angels, or fully cured of their lycanthropy um, and are just like living the lives that they led prior to becoming werewolves. So you're saying that the collective plane of Innistrad is essentially not a strong independent plane, and they do in fact need an angel. Yes, that is one of the uh, <laughs> strangest, but um, that's not a comparison I would have made, but it makes sense. And it makes sense time and time again, as we'll find out soon. The story really gets started with Avacyn kind of like we're seeing into Avacyn's mindset and she hears like a call, a prayer to her pierce through kind of her just meditative state uh, of someone who lost their child in the forest. And so Avacyn like kind of runs down to the plane from her mountain retreat where she kind of just relaxes, saves the child and on her way back to her sort of mountain home, um, she's hit by these like weird, violent psychological assault that kind of sends her right back into the plane and like she has these if you've seen the fevered visions card it's it's all the weird sort of like synapses are going crazy she's kind of going nuts and this phrase kind of worms its way into her head saying the seeds of the men are rotten and it kind of starts to twist avison's idea on like what is sin and what isn't she starts to slowly see humanity as a plague that she can purify and then soon after avison has had this happen and more and more of the angels come to the same conclusions about humanity either through Avacyn's coercion or their own violent episodes kind of similar. Uh, Two of the more important people that Avacyn is immediately able to kind of bring on this new uh, crusade is Bruna of Flight Alabaster and Gisela of Flight Gold Knight uh, to form this new flight of Moonsilver who make their entrance to the world by descending upon a small town and kind of just burning it, assuming all humans in it are bad and just lighting everything on fire. This is kind of the the beginning of the end for the, the current incarnation of Innistrad because as Avacyn kind of falls from from grace as the plane's protector there's a shift and all those good things that I mentioned earlier kind of go bad and the once cured werewolves are now 
all of a sudden becoming werewolves at kind of the worst opportunities and murdering their families. Demons are kind of popping back up again, poking their head out, realizing that they're not the target of the angel's wrath. And there's all these weird stones that start pointing and going like pointing in the same direction. Um, but they're kind of coming out of the earth and, and things are definitely getting a little bit uh, rowdy. Just imagine being a farmer who has lived through all the shit that Innistrad has thrown at you. And now like finally Avison's back. Things are going well. Like your estranged uncle has returned home from the woods. He's no longer a werewolf. Like <laughs> things are finally like, Oh, things are going well. And then one day your kid just starts sprouting long, like tentacle limbs. And your uncle turns back into a werewolf and you're like, it would, you know what? Just, why do I live here? The crazy thing is, like, I since a lot of this story was kind of just come up, well, well it's it's all fiction, right? So they could have gone with any length of time that Avacyn was able to kind of give the people of Innistrad a good life. And they were like, nah, it's been a year. Like, she's only been out for a year. Everything sucked when she got pushed into the Hell Vault, and they finally broke her out, and they had, like, a year of peace before this started happening. <laughs> Do you want to go over what the Hell Vault is? Because I know we're going, we're going to be talking about that later as well. Yeah, yeah. So the Hell Vault is a sliver of the rock that makes up Innistrad's moon. And Innistrad's moon is very powerful in the plane, uh, known as the Heron Moon. And the vampire Soren was able to take a sliver of that moon rock, that sweet, sweet moon rock, and turn it into a prison on the plane as kind of a way to protect Innistrad from larger threats. And the idea is he can kind of take threats and just push them into the Hell Vault and they stay there. Everything kind of works, but there's no way out, right? So he's using it to push demons in there. And then I think in original Innistrad, Grizzlebrand is like fighting with Avacyn and they both end up just slurped into the sweet, sweet moon rock. And since no one can get out, they're they're stuck. Uh, but it's it's meant as the prison to protect the plane from, from larger threats. Now, my question is, obviously, Avacyn is not doing too hot. She's, she's making some bad decisions. What What is the general populist like is there is there like a hopefulness that things are going to get better or are they just immediately like mob rule turning on avison screw this woman she's she's fucking up so there's there's kind of a a mix between the two i think this is one of the things that got left out of the the initial script but basically you've got the church that has to decide okay our our patron saint essentially avison is taking us in a weird direction of purifying the sin from humanity do we follow her and instead of, you know, all hope is lost running away or kind of turning their back on her, they do the worst thing. And they're like, maybe she has some points. And like the Spanish Inquisition, uh, we get the Lunark Inquisition. And the church kind of takes a more like, well, Avison said it, so it must be true, purify all sin approach. And some of the best characters in Magic, of course, see that that is not really the best approach uh, and are able to pull themselves out from that grasp. But you have those people and then you have the ones that find themselves forsaken and now live in fear of the angels that they once revered. So it's kind of this this dawning as humanity splits in its approach to this sort of thing. Well, I think if there's one thing that Wizards of the Coast has taught us over the past few years, if you got a problem, the best way to fix it, throw a couple planeswalkers at it. Exactly. Now, at the same time as this this kind of stuff is happening on, on Innistrad, uh, after the uh, issues with the Eldrazi <laughs> in the previous Battle for Zendikar block, Jace Bellerin, um, one of the the Gatewatch, if you guys are new to the lore, the Gatewatch was kind of this narrative vehicle for the last few recent sets. Jace travels to Innistrad in search of Soren Markov, the vampire who created that Hell Vault we mentioned earlier. One of the original Planeswalkers who bound the Eldrazi Titans to Zendikar in the first place thousands of years prior. 
Now, Soren had briefly aided this newly formed Gatewatch against Ulamog and Kozilek, uh, two of the three Eldrazi Titans, in the battle for Zendikar story, before saying he had to grab something from his home plane of Innistrad to help in the Eldrazi's destruction, and then he failed to return. Uh, now, of course, right now, this is before Nicol Bolas is destroyed in War of the Spark on Ravnica. Uh, so Jace has a, a, a concern that maybe this this dragon, massive dragon, Nicol Bolas, who's kind of been pulling the strings for a little while, might have gotten an interest in this ancient and super powerful uh, planeswalker. So in fear of the either the, the vampire kind of turning to the side of Nicol Bolas or something bad happening to him, Jace travels to Innistrad in an effort to find him, and when he gets there, reaches out to an old quote-unquote friend, Liliana, who isn't part of the Gatewatch yet. They used to have sex. They did used to, uh, boink. Now, the reunion is toxic, to say the, the least, but she warns him that his plan to visit Markov Manor is suicide and decides not to help him try to find Sorin. Undeterred, Jace ventures off for Markov Manor home of the Markov line of vampires, and his only lead. But when our blue ma- mind mage finds it, the ancient fortress is in ruins. Massive pieces of stone drifting casually in a weird, sort of stuck-in-time way. Uh, but not to be perturbed, Jace ventures into the decimated home of Soren Markov's family in search of anything that will lead him to the missing vampire planeswalker. Unfortunately, no one there can be of much help because they're all completely stoned encased in stone Uh, but in the arms of one unfortunate victim jace finds a journal full of important details about the power structure of innistrad and secrets about kind of how the plane works because this would be the first time we've seen innistrad in this like current refresh of the magic story from magic origins in 2015 so they're kind of bringing us up to date on kind of what it works and the history of Archangel Avacyn and how she was created by Soren as a protector of the plane around the same time as the Hellvault. Now, there's more recent entries in the journal as well about Avacyn. We don't just hear about the creation, but whoever wrote this journal also seems to be recording Avacyn's descent into madness, which which really kind of is the key to understanding a lot of this story. This really is the beginning of Jace's investigation into what is happening on Innistrad outside of just where Soren Markov is, it seems like something is very wrong. And also, it's a good guess to think that someone did this to the Markov family and that they didn't just kind of all turn into stone by themselves. If you want a visual of what this looked like, the card Declaration in Stone shows that not only are there just half-vampire bodies, like hundreds of them, sticking out of just like pillars, the floor, the walls... There are staircases running in every direction in the background. The manor has been truly just ransacked. It's kind of like an MC Escher painting. Also, Chev, is this, you might have mentioned right at the very beginning, but is this when we find out that Avacyn is indeed a production of Soren? I feel like that's that's known um, only because there's like the Vault of the Archangel as a card from Avacyn Restored that kind of like shows where the Archangel was created. So I'm not sure if it's our, as listeners or, or readers, like first understanding of it. Um, hopefully someone can comment and say if it is. But it seemed like it was kind of just reminding people since it's been a while since we've kind of explored the plane and its lore at this time. Okay, well, for people who don't know, Soren, like Chev said, super powerful planeswalker, actually created the Angel Avacyn to sort of be a guardian deity mm-hmm. for that plane. Because obviously he's off doing things other places and he doesn't want people wrecking his house while he's gone 
He's got places to be. He needs like a he needs the Alfred to his uh, Batman. Uh, Declaration of Stone is also a unloved um, removal spell that should probably see more play. Anyway, yeah. Jace continues to read this journal because it seems to be providing some good intel. Um, and he finds information about the, the weird rock formations that have also been occurring as Avacyn kind of went crazy, werewolves kind of went nuts. Uh, in the journal, they're referred to as cryptoliths. And without any other leads, Jace begins to head in the direction they're all pointing. If you can recall, they were all kind of, these, these weird rocks were out of the ground and they're all pointing in one direction. So you might as well follow the rocks, I guess, is the logic there. And they're all kind of pointing to this area of Innistrad known as Nefalia. The journal spends a little more time discussing these rocks too, really going into what makes them strange. And the biggest thing is the stone that they're comprised of is stone from deep in Innistrad's core. But the rock formations are recent. So I'm no rock guy. Luckily, we have our own rock guy. But this is not something that seems like it would occur naturally to have like deep rock now on the surface and pointing like an arrow towards the beach i can confirm that is not a natural phenomenon <laughs> uh now there's there's one of the reasons why the the author of this journal thinks that avison might be going nuts is because these rocks are so deep in innistrad's core we might be separating ourselves from real geology here for a minute but the ley lines of the plane are are nested deep in those rocks and so warping the world to create these rock formations has really messed with the plane's mana in ways that will kind of become apparent later. But kind of shifting the way of how mana works changes the way a lot of magical beings can kind of interpret the plane. So some some hypotheses for Avicen's behavior have her being like a white blood cell that realizes something is wrong, doesn't know what's wrong, and is lashing out at the wrong thing. Kind of like giving the plane a fever. Following the twisted rocks to their nexus, a reef ringed by the strange stones just off the coast of Nefalia and surrounded by zombies. Through a series of visions, Jace is able to deduce another presence on the plane. Uh, like a kind of large, invisible thing of celestial size near the moon. Like a big planet-shaped bowl of pasta? Potentially. An eldritch moon, it is referred to as. Uh, who knows Aha. if that'll come back. <laughs> Spoiler. But there Ooh. still continues to be no visual signs of it. And so, like, Jace has this weird sort of out-of-body. There's a lot of weird mind craziness in this in this story. And he has alternate versions of himself kind of trying to feed him logic and reasoning as he's staring at these zombies and this big temple off the coast of uh, Nefalia. But he kind of comes to the conclusion that Liliana might be behind all this, mostly because zombies are involved and angels are acting weird. And Liliana, as a, as a black mage, uh, really doesn't like beings of light or angels. So it's not a really like firm hypothesis at this point, but it's enough for kind of Jace to go on. And when he kind of questions it a little bit, a dull buzzing voice fills his head, soothing him and sit telling him to stop asking questions. They'll drown you, which is not at all concerning. Pay no attention. Pay. There's nothing going on over here. Ignore the man behind the curtain. So Jace, seeking answers, is able to interrupt a conversation between Liliana and this weird character that I know people are hoping we see more of in this visit to Innistrad, uh, the Raven Man, who is kind of responsible for all of Liliana's choices up until this point, with some mental mind magic shenanigans and flashy theatrics in an attempt to get Liliana to admit to the strange happenings on Innistrad. Liliana, kind of bewildered by Jace's violence, is forced on the defensive, able to withstand the psychic assault of Jace only with the help of the Raven Man and the Chain Veil, 
which is a, a very powerful ancient artifact, and just able to buy herself enough time to convince this slightly off Jace that she isn't responsible for all the zombies, or her distaste of angels isn't why they're all going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and she tries to keep Jace in the manor to figure out what's going on, but he storms off before she really has a chance to kind of stop him to confront Avacyn in Thraben. When you were telling us kind of about this before and how Jace like has to like mentally like insert himself into the conversation, I'm just like imagining like Jace is like a computer virus that's just like popping up like memes and ads for porn, and Liliana is just like control delete, control delete <laughs> to like task manager and like shut every shit that all this shit down. As Jace continues to try and unravel this mystery, uh, he stumbles into Tamio, the Moon Mage who has made it her mission to kind of chronicle the tales of many planes and who also happens to be the writer of the journal that's kind of led Jace this far with all the kind of things. Now, Tamio's big deal is she will not interfere. She's kind of like the prime directive of <clears throat> go to a place, log what's happening, but don't kind of mess with anything. Now, she does use her power. She has this power to like read scrolls, uh, stories that she's been told or kind of found out to various effects. That's one of her abilities. And she's able to use that to soothe Jace's mind from this weird other influence that was kind of pushing him towards Liliana. She's like a pseudo bard. Yeah. yeah. It's got like bardic <laughs> magic. And and together they, they form this plan to kind of confront Avacyn, get some answers like why she went crazy, why everyone else is going crazy. And it's noted that Avacyn may be causing the madness of the other angels, kind of convincing them that her cause is just, but she isn't the cause of her own madness. So hoping to get some information out of her, they think that the object that's been affecting Jace and he felt at the Drown Your Temple might be a likely suspect. Now, unfortunately, Avacyn does make an appearance rather quickly and Tamio makes it her role to kind of maintain neutrality. So Jace goes to kind of fight and reason with Avacyn, is beat up. Uh, Tamio kind of like sits in the background trying to be his like judge in the corner, help him out a little bit, but it isn't enough. And she's not willing to kind of change the direction of the plane. So they're both being pummeled by Avacyn at this point. It's good to know that as strong as planeswalkers are, that Avacyn can just be like, catch these hands and absolutely Shrek both of them. Even like in like a weakened state. She is not what she once was at this point. Like she's lost her mind. She's, she's wilded. Well, I think another thing is Soren was a pre-mending planeswalker. Mm-hmm. So he was much closer to like that god level that like, you know, Urza, OG Nicol Bolas, even I think OG Liliana, I think. Yeah, she was pre-mending. All these like ones from old Dominaria that are just like dumb powerful. He was one of those. So like, yes, Avacyn is an artificial being created from Soren's magic, but like Soren's magic, you know, he's got like a whole, whole ass Hoover Dam worth of magic just chilling. She was also created pre-mending, which I don't know if that makes a difference or is something that the planeswalkers could have uh utilized more of like yo let me store all my power in this battery and then uh get it back so so there is something to be said like maybe she was not as affected by the mending because all of his power kind of poured into it was from that godlike state yeah that's what i was thinking like he was he's obviously not as powerful now but he was obviously dumb powerful back then so when he made her mm -hmm. she was dumb powerful too mm. i would actually be interested if like she is as powerful or maybe even more powerful than Soren currently, depending on how you want to do that sort of power scaling. But I mean, I think we're we, about to have, our we, we know that she isn't because what's about to happen next. 
just in the nick of time, as Avison's pummeling some fools, Soren appears. He kind of has this mission to fix Avison, kind of set her back on the right path, because, you know, he poured a lot of time and resources into creating this protector of the plane. He doesn't really want to give up on her yet. She's kind of unable to hit him. They, they go back and forth a little while. He's kind of built in that failsafe to <laughs> Avison's essentially magic programming. And he's able to kind of briefly restore her sanity. But it has pretty bad ramifications. He isn't able to keep it for long. And upon realization of kind of what she's done in her state, Avison puts the blame for her having the capability to do these things at the hands of Soren. Kind of like, you know, you built me in a way that could be corrupted. All the deaths that I've committed are on your hands. Which seems entirely unfair. Yeah. <laughs> Now, yeah, it, the math does not exactly check. There, there's something to be like when the external influence kind of started hitting on her again. Like, did she just become overwhelmed with grief at the thought of murdering all these innocent people she was supposed to protect? And then kind of like how Jace slowly felt that Liliana was responsible for everything that's going on. Um, maybe it was just a voice in the back of her head convincing her that like, oh, Soren's to blame now. Because um, mm. you, you can see some of that like sanity surfaces for a brief moment, e even when um, Jace is talking to Liliana, but then the influence is kind of there again to point them in a specific direction. Yeah. So Avison comes at Soren again. Soren realizes that she's probably beyond help. The fight ensues in this temple that was actually the place where Avison was created. And then we have the uh, unmaking of Avison as Soren is able to kind of just rip her to shreds for the good of the plane since she's completely lost it and cannot really be saved. Anguished on making beautiful art captures the moment incredibly well. It's kind of funny because it is such a powerful card. And then like this moment that as soon as Avison's destroyed, the plane loses kind of its final defense net. And there's these, all these earthquakes and things start to go from bad to worse. And that's the end of the shadows over Innistrad versus Eldritch Moon story. And then when you think about the card, it's like, I have, I have bled for this. You lose three life. I mean, maybe just because we're playing Commander, like, three life is like, boom, j just get rid of it. This is insignificant. But I feel like it's just, w when you think about the actual effect it had, you're losing a lot more than three life. If you want to think about it in terms of loyalty, that's more than half of Soren's loyalty. If you mm, want to put it that that's way. That's a good point. Yeah. Or I, think, I think it's half. I don't know. But anyway, additionally, the flavor text there of, like, Soren had created Avacyn, so it was a cruelty beyond imagining, a pain beyond description that it fell upon him to end her forever. There's no pain, it's just sad. All right, so we've fixed one problem, but it turns out we have several other ones. Yes, the uh, the Avacyn kind of going nuts, while that was very problematic for humans who were caught in kind of the flight of the moon silver's path, uh, that doesn't really speak to the rest of the craziness that's going on. People growing tentacle arms, weird body mutations, the darkness kind of rising up is not just because the angels have kind of stopped looking. Now, Soren kind of has an idea on who's behind this, uh, and that is what led him to Avacyn in the first place. Um, having made it to the manor just before Jace did, Soren could immediately deduce kind of who is responsible due to the techniques that were used. And he thinks it's Nahiri, the Lithomancer. Now, her and Soren have a history about a thousand years prior to these events. Uh, Nahiri felt the Eldrazi stir from their imprisonment on Zendikar and lit the emergency beacon that should have brought Soren and Ugin uh, running back to the plane to help. Because Nahiri, Soren, and Ugin are the ones who originally lured the Eldrazi 
thousands and thousands of years ago to Zendikar and then to trap them. And Ugin, um, he's always been a little bit sketch when it comes to these kind of things. He's just like, yo, we'll protect them, then just hit this emergency panic button uh, and we'll come running. Yeah, he a fake friend though. Nahiri senses them kind of move around. There's some weird goings on with Eldrazi on Zendikar and she's able to stop it. Now this isn't a block story. This isn't Rise of the Eldrazi. This isn't Battle for Zendikar. It's just an event that occurred. And she's able to kind of stop it single-handedly. But this causes her to go to Innistrad to kind of see what was going on. Because she knows that's where Soren's from. Why didn't Soren come and kind of help her after they'd been friends for so long? Uh, so she, she kind of goes with the idea and thinking that Soren might be kind of destroyed or, or something bad could have happened. But instead, she finds him kind of just in a slightly weakened state and irritable. He's in a slightly weakened state because he had just finished creating the Hell Vault and Avacyn. So he's kind of at the lowest his power level could be at this point. This is still pre-mending. When Nahiri explains what happened, Soren is also kind of dismissive, claiming the Hell Vault that he had just created probably messed with the signal of reaching out, but he seems more bothered by Nahiri's presence than the actual threat of the Eldrazi. It's very clear his loyalties lie with Innistrad, and he thinks that creating the Hell Vault and Avacyn have protected Innistrad, and so really kind of like if Zendikar burns, that's not really a problem that he cares about anymore. So a fight breaks out between these two planeswalkers and it, it seems pretty even until Nahiri kind of gains the upper hand, tries to convince Soren to come back to Zendikar, make sure all the traps and, and signals are working properly. But then Avacyn intervenes as kind of the, the new protector of this plane coming to Soren's aid, quickly overpowers Nahiri and is able to kind of push her into the Hell Vault as kind of a, you know, go go away, go away, go away sort of thing. Nahiri stays in the Hell Vault for about a thousand years, which is a bit of a, a bit of a time. Um, and she's there while it slowly fills with the other other creatures of Innistrad. And it's the story tells of like, it's clear that you're not alone in the Hell Vault. Like, it's just this inky blackness that surrounds everything. And every once in a while, you'll collide with something else in there. And so she's kind of going around being attacked by demons and all this kind of stuff. But since she's a planeswalker, she's kind of able to survive. And she's in that sort of hibernative state for a thousand years until the events of the Innistrad block, the original one, busted open and Nahiri is able to get out. And fearful of what's happened to Zendikar over these last thousand years, she's able to planeswalk to the plane and finds it kind of irrevocably changed. Uh, the Eldrazi Titans are free. This is during Battle for Zendikar and destroying entire continents. Um, and so in the ashes of Balaged, she promises vengeance on Soren for keeping her locked up when her plane needed her and vengeance on Innistrad. In addition, when she returned, the Gatewatch was like in the middle of like trying to protect her plane. Like it's not like her plane was entirely unprotected. She just didn't get to be there for it. There's a lot of reasons for Nahiri to be incredibly upset but that one definitely hit me a little bit like really you couldn't have tried to solve your own problems before like destroying Innistrad it seems like there was a, a miscommunication there I feel like it was probably like an an eye for an eye sort of thing like the damage had already been done to Zendikar mm -hmm. it, I, I'm, I'm hurting already so I'm gonna make you hurt too well she saw she saw Zendikar is completely done she was like, there's no hope for this plane. It's destroyed. I am going to completely obliterate Innistrad. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not I mean, to be fair, equivalent. The Eldrazi are bad dudes, you know, and they, 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 really, they really messed the plane up. Meanwhile, back on Innistrad, uh, mm. with Avacyn having just been blown up and the last protection of Innistrad failing, 
uh, Nahiri, who is the one behind all these things. It's kind of, you know, you put the clues together, you investigated in the shadows over Innistrad, and now it's Nahiri is kind of the one who set all of these events in motion. And now that Avacyn's destroyed, Nahiri is able to make a connection with her Drownier temple that she had set up with the help of Gisa, uh, the ghoul caller, who actually is the creator of all the undead that Jay saw earlier, not Liliana. And she's able to summon Emrakul officially to the plane. Now, during the time, there's this big thing where they wouldn't show us the set symbol for Eldritch Moon because the set symbol is literally just Emrakul. So they didn't want to give it away, but the Eldrazi come in threes, so we knew Emrakul was coming. Um, and so while Emrakul's influence had already been felt across the plane, as we know from Avacyn kind of going nuts, Jace feeling this buzzing pressure in his head, and Emrakul was able to instill madness in the minds of many, now that Emrakul was actually to arrive physically on Innistrad, things take a really dire turn. Without her her normal scions and brood that kind of Umulamog is responsible for, but Emrakul kind of controls, she's able to start shaping the denizens of Innistrad in her image. And so there's kind of this warping of the regular residents of Innistrad to better fit what Emrakul sees as her lineage. And that usually means noodles and tentacles. Uh, one description that's particularly interesting that's used is as if their flesh and bones had been putty in the hands of some unnatural mutating force. So while original Innistrad block is kind of things that go bump in the night, now in this return, we're getting a lot of body horror. And so drone pack Eldrazi werewolves are hunting in Kessig. Uh, those those werewolves from the set are really scary to look at. Cultist and villagers are finding themselves transformed with extra limbs and sinewy innards. Um, and all are slowly beginning to feel the effects of an alien influence. The pressure that was on a lot of people's heads and making these weird connections uh, is kind of doubled. One particular call out is to the town of Hanwire, which if you guys are familiar with the meld mechanic, an entire town became one large Eldrazi ooze. Which is horrifying, but as super no sick. Fan, it is a land and a it. creature. It is it is the people of Hanweir and the town itself that form together into this one mess. It's like Howl's Moving Castle, but um, not Bruna and Gazella, as previously mentioned, who were under kind of the influence already, hearing the calls of Emrakul through Avacyn, but now kind of hearing Emrakul full force, also meld into a massive nightmare with four wings, two arms, two mouths. And the flight of Moonsilver becomes the flight of Nightmares, which can tell you that they're definitely on the side of good. Uh, and sort of as Jace and Tamio make their way back towards the Drownier Temple, feeling this sort of disturbance in the Force, Jace realizes this probably isn't something they can handle alone, and planeswalks to Zendikar in an effort to bring in the full Gatewatch, who so far have not appeared. So Avengers Assemble is what you're saying. I kind of also like that Tamio this whole time has just been like, chilling and watching I, i'm like ah tamio like you should really help out but also it's just like comedic and also badass that she just kind of like goes around and is like watching like she's in the background like zombies are like trying to get out she's just like dodging she's like i'm just i'm just watching like seeing what's going on right writing stuff down like taking notes it's one of the cooler things i think that planeswalkers do and that's kind of you have all these planes that are the settings of magic um but then when you kind of go into what role does a planeswalker have on a world and this is a big plot point for the original Star Trek series, which is, I think, where some of this kind of gets its ideas from. But, like, Tamio sees her role as, like, I'm not one to interfere. I am super powerful. I can change the course of history on a given plane, but it was set in a direction prior to me going there. So I want to go and see what's up, 
but like it is not my role to change things and you kind of see an evolution in tamio through this set and i think that's also really interesting where it's like okay i might not want to change things but if other planeswalkers are involved in changing things do i have a duty to the people of this realm whose lives are being irrevocably changed and so so far tamio's like these things are happening and we don't have a clear source for them yet so is this the natural like path that this plane is going to take and so it's like this really interesting sort of dichotomy to the gate watch which is like no we will stop it i wonder and this total total sidebar but since we're going back to kamigawa in january mm-hmm. tamio is native to kamigawa i wonder if there's going to be like a, a big character moment if she's there if she's there and something's happening on her plane and she now has to either be like am i going to just once again just be like the the spectator or am I actually going to take, you know, take action because this is my plane, my her people, the moon folk are there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if that's going to be like a sort of that could be interesting uh, ideological battle she's got to fight in her own head. I think it would be different for her because like she is a foreigner who's just observing on these other planes. Whereas like if my memory of like the few story bits I've read is correct, like Tamiya runs an orphanage on Kamigawa and like that's very much her home and a place that she cares about. I think that if that did happen, we would see something different there. But uh, back back to Innistrad really quickly. I, I do think it's cool that, like, we went from, like, old horror movies in terms of, like, oh, it's Frankenstein, it's werewolves, it's vampires, it's crazy, to very much, like, Cthulhu mythos, like, it is Innsmouth, where it is a town of people just, like, transformed, and you never know who's the next person to just burst out into, like, bone and sinew and just flesh. And uh, the, the body horror and eldritch horror, like conflux in this set is a super good visual aesthetic and I'm, I'm i'm happy they they didn't shy away from it and they really just sent it yeah it's it's definitely like something i didn't fully appreciate at the time the set came out because we were still very new to magic and it was still like what does this card do but kind of looking back and you can see the influences of a set you're like okay you know we're switching horror genres to something that's equally interesting but kind of takes a very different turn and honestly, I'm I'm upset there aren't more meld cards because that was just a ridiculously weird mechanic that like really embodies what's going on on this plane, which is just smushing things together. Uh, so here's where like the story kind of splits and we have these two narratives where Tamio and Jace are kind of honing in on this large other threat that's on the plane. Um, and Soren, who we previously saw kind of deduce that Nahiri is involved in the murder of his entire family, is more interested in that plot line. So these things are kind of going on around him. He's enlisted the help of another vamp- massive uh, vampire family on the plane, the Valderins, uh, Olivia Valderin, who's seen a few cards come up in recent years. And so he enlists her help to specifically stop Nahiri, un- ignoring the larger threat of Emrakul on the plane. So Soren and Olivia team up to fight with a massive vampire army where Nahiri is kind of held up in Markov Manor to kind of add insult to injury. And while they, Nahiri has amassed like this army of cultists that's twice the size of the vampires, what the vampires lack in numbers, they make up for in sheer ferocity until Nahiri opens a stone door that is full of weird Eldrazi she managed to kind of coax in there. And with the stone mana list that she's also responsible for, she has warped the plane's mana enough since Eldrazi are kind of weird threats that feed on mana so that she's completely invisible to the Eldrazi. So she kind of like lets loose this large group of otherworldly monsters and she herself cannot be touched this decimates the vampires 
uh, and kind of puts them on the back foot, but Soren's able to kind of fight through them and get to Nahiri, and we get another kind of rematch to when they fought outside of the Hell Vault over a thousand years ago. And Soren is able to, even in this sort of state he's in and anger and all that, and Nahiri messing with the ley lines kind of explains his death magic isn't working on her. She still ends up at the point of Soren's blade. And in a moment of just sort of like madness, he goes in to feed on Nahiri, hoping, I think, to just like drain her completely and kill her. Uh, unfortunately for Soren, this is kind of part of Nahiri's plan. And so when his teeth are fully secured in her neck, she pulls them both into stone. Uh, before piercing Soren's insides with rock to prevent planeswalking and slipping out of the stone herself, that kind of imprisons Soren, not not like his family members who are fully in stone. He's very much alive and still an immortal being, but pierced with stone so he can't leave. And then she kind of just spins his rock prison towards where Emrakul is currently amassing over Nephalia and says like, ta-da, this is for you because of what you did to Zendikar. And then she just dips. And then she just dips. That is the end of Nohiri on Innistrad. Nothing else she cares about. She was just here to blow the plane up and leave Soren as the last uh, viewer of it. A woman on a mission. What a bitch. It is what some may call a dick move. So. I like Nahiri. (laughs) (laughs) Nahiri has completely removed herself from the situation. She set all these events in motion. She pulled Emrakul from the Blind Eternities onto Innistrad um, to kind of wreck shit. Uh, Soren is now kind of taken care of for the time being and watching the destruction of his plane, which definitely is good for their relationship. But that's not really where the story ends. Olivia Valderin, after the fight with the cultists in Nahiri, finds Soren in the rock. And Soren's like, yo, help me out. And she's like, mm, I'm good. And she leaves. Uh, and she she comes back later in the fight for Innistrad, but she's like, nah, you, you're fine where you are. <laughs> there can only be one sheriff in this town. Because their families were rivals, right? Like, they Yeah, were- they were rivals. And and she really took issue with Soren calling himself the Lord of Innistrad. And she's like, now I, I am the Lord. I am the captain now. Uh, so anyway, like Nahiri's done that. Soren's in rock. Uh, and Emrakul shifts from Nephalia and slowly starts to descend on the town of Thraben. Thalia who had previously broken off from Avacyn's church around when we were discussing earlier the Lunark Inquisition started as kind of the human arm of Avacyn's quest to purify Innistrad. She leads the the main human resistance with the help of the Geist of St. Traft, who exists kind of possessing her. Her army approaches the city of Thraben on horseback, where they come into contact with the largest group of Emrakul-transformed beings they've seen to date, all sort of drawn towards the city. And while they're able to avoid conflict at first, eventually they kind of turn and there's a large fight. But with the help of the Geist of St. Traft, Thalia and her forces are able to hold out just long enough for Olivia Valderin to show up with her vampire army that recently defeated Nahiri and the cultists and left Soren in the rock uh, to help out. And here we see kind of like a joining of all of Innistrad's original creatures kind of fighting the Emrakul and Eldrazi menace. And an uneasy alliance is formed as these two sides are like, yo, we hate you, but like, we hate Noodle Boy more. <laughs> now, as they, th- this is like one of the really interesting things about the plane that isn't really gone into deep in the story and is kind of passed over. And as they breach the first wall of Thraben, Emrakul's whispers kind of take a larger hold in people's minds. And a few of the humans start to really instantly transform. Their will just crumbles in Emrakul's and then they become an Eldrazi being. Uh, but there seems to be a sort of resistance 
of Emrakul's influence on the undead. So that's why the vampires aren't really affected. And that's why the Geist of St. Traft isn't really affected. And what the Geist is actually able to do is now that Avacyn's gone from the plane and stopping, because she was responsible for stopping a lot of the ghosts from coming back, a lot of the ghosts are able to kind of rise from their graves under the Geist of St. Traft, possess the human army, and fortify their will with their sort of undead power uh, against the Eldrazi Horde giving the humans a fighting chance and kind of fortifying them in this massive fight. I wish so badly that they had made a card about, like, this moment. This would have been super cool. There's so much good art that could be made about this. Like, several cards could take place in this moment. One of which, uh, Chev, I'm sure that you would love to see printed and I would hate to see printed, as would everyone else that you play against. But, like, an Eldrazi board wipe that's just, like, destroy all creatures... Instead, like, for each creature, create, like, a 1-1 Eldrazi Scion, like, mm, in its place. Yeah. Some big warp. Or even, or even like, a change to All is Dust that is more specific to this plane where it's, like, destroy all creatures except spirits, zombies, vampires, or something that's very much like, you know, it wipes out everything that's not undead. Or, or even just, like, a retake on, um, there's the one card that destroys all humans, but, like, a colorless version of that. I'll always take more board wipes and colorless. Big fan. So while Thraben is slowly becoming overrun by Eldrazi monstrosities, even with the vampires and humans joining forces to fight them, uh, Jace is able to return in the nick of time as stories go with the Gatewatch in tow. So together he's got, we've got Jace, Gideon Jura, who is the white, uh, Chandra Nalar, and then Nisa Ravain, who's also from... Zendikar. And so altogether, they come up with a plan to take down the final Titan. Uh, it's kind of like a sequel. Uh, Nissa will use her planar glyph, which isn't really described. I'm assuming they go into that in the BFC story, to tap into the plane's ley lines and use that channeled power of the plane, pump it into Chandra, who will just burn everything. And this was kind of the approach they took on Zendikar to destroy the other two Titans. And they're kind of like, all right, it worked last time. Let's do it again. So the Gatewatch is able to fight their way to a, a clearing in the Eldrazi hordes. Uh, Jace is kind of doing mind management on everyone, making sure they don't get warped by the Eldrazi. And Nissa, Nissa does her best to kind of channel Innistrad's energy. But the plane A doesn't have enough compared to Zendikar, which is usually described as mana rich. Uh, and B, the mana it does have has been warped by the changes Nahiri has made and by Emrakul's presence. So it's in a very twisted state. And we get this image of Nissa basically like grabbing onto one of the ley lines like it's a fire hose that's just shooting water everywhere. And she kind of like tries to hold on and it baps her to the ground and then everything kind of breaks down. Again, in the nick of time, uh, Liliana happens to show up with a horde of undead because uh, she sees it as like, okay, you know, everything else is failing. I kind of like it on Innistrad. I need to kind of help out here. And maybe these guys might owe me when this is all done and I can use their help to get out of my, my deals with demons. So she shows up with death magic, a giant horde of undead, all channeled through the chain veil, which is a very dangerous artifact we kind of hinted at earlier, but it gives her access to a lot of power. It just makes her bleed everywhere. So with that kind of sacrifice, she's like, I'm gonna bleed everywhere. I'm gonna control a bunch of zombies. And she's able to kind of fight the Eldrazi back enough uh, to give the Gatewatch a little breathing room to kind of regroup. Tamio also appears at this point, kind of deciding that, okay, this is a threat that Innistrad isn't really prepared to deal with. I will do my best to kind of help out here where I it fits into my, my morals. 
And so they kind of have this renewed stance. They're going to try the plan again, reach into the plane, get the mana. And just as that's happening, uh, Emrakul unleashes like a blast of mental energy that really fucks things up again. The zombies are kind of pulled from Liliana's control and the rest of the group kind of gets knocked unconscious. And so Liliana is still still able to kind of keep it. She's fighting for control of her zombie horde. She manages to get it, pulling more power from the chain veil and then is like shooting death magic back at Emrakul. And meanwhile, Jace is kind of in this sort of like construct of his own head. It's not very clear at first like where he is. And then he sees Eldrazi in the sky of this vision. And so he's like, okay, got to keep doing stuff. And so he heads down this staircase that appears. And he sees like these vignettes of all of his friends that are also currently unconscious. And they're fighting these sort of hopeless battles. And so he's thinking like, maybe this is kind of happening in their heads. And I'm seeing into it. Uh, And eventually he enters this room in this mental construct where he sees an angel resembling Emiria. And Emiria is the merfolk god version of Emrakul. Since, like, the Titans existed on Zendikar, they disappeared for a long time. Their history was kind of warped in the head of a lot of the Zendikari natives who then thought they were previously forgotten gods. So everyone has this image of, like, Emiria if you were on Zendikar. And so this angel who is really Emrakul starts talking to Jace. They, they play chess for some reason because this seems like the right time for chess. Nerd. <laughs> when all of a sudden Emiria kind of, like, Changes all the chess pieces into living creatures that just slaughtered Jace's pieces because she's kind of bored and says, This is all wrong. I am incomplete, unfulfilled, incoat, and there should be blossoms, not barren resentment to my presence. The soil was not receptive and it is not my time. And then she kind of just disappears. And you're like, Okay, uh, Emrakul's kind of given some mixed signals here. And eventually, Jace makes it out of his mind with the rest of the Gatewatch, just in time to save Liliana, who was losing the fight to maintain her control of the undead. Jace is able to come up with a plan with Tamio to kind of imprison Emrakul in the moon like the Avacyn and Grizzlebrand were imprisoned in the Hell Vault, because the Hell Vault was made of moon material. So they're like, what if the moon is just a big version of that? And we can get Noodle Monster into the moon. Now, this plan doesn't really work. They aren't able to channel enough energy through the ley lines again because that seems key to everything. You have to kind of stick your arm into the power socket for this all to work. But it's it's not working. And, and a connection between Jace and Tamio drops. Tamio reaches into her bag, pulls out this iron scroll that she's promised to never open these like very specific stories, reads it. And when she has, Jace finds himself with the renewed energy to pull Emrakul into the moon and kind of save the plane. And so we think we think everything's good from this point. Like Emrakul has been stopped. She is now in the moon of Innistrad. And the day is saved. Imprisoned in the moon? Imprisoned in the moon. Exactly. But like she kind of wants to be there. Right. After all of this has kind of occurred. Jace goes to Tamio and is like yo congrats we did it. And Tamio is like vomiting and upset and scared. And she tells Jace that like. When their connection dropped, Emrakul actually took over Tamio's mind and pulled out this like forbidden scroll to read, use its power to kind of push Emrakul herself into the moon. And not only that, but the scroll did something it wasn't supposed to do. The scroll itself was one of destruction. And the story told was supposed to like wipe out all life on a plane. But instead... Emrakul had somehow changed its meaning and was able to use it to imprison herself in the moon. And so it's very clear that that was kind of Emrakul's influence that 
pushed Emrakul into the moon and not Tamio's sort of movements. And it leaves everyone kind of feeling like, why? And so the thought is it had something to do with Emrakul feeling like her arrival on the plane should be met with revelry and not resentment. My two questions are, one, when she put herself in the moon, was that like her being like, well, this is going to end badly for me either way, so let's just make it end less badly? Or is she... Was she like, she's like, nah, I'm going to like, this, this has like a purpose of me just being in the moon. Second question, uh, are we going to ignore the fact that Tamio was just walking around with a scroll that could basically nuke an entire plane? Uh, yeah, Tamio's a thug. Tamio's like a super powerful. One of the coolest things about these stories and something we had to skip for, for time is we actually learned what I think two of the stories that Tamio holds are. And like one that is put into the story blocks of Innistrad is the creation of the myrrh from Mirrodin and kind of like how they came to be. And she uses that power to free Jace from the spell of Emrakul. Uh, and then there's another one that's involved as well. But she has like a ton of power in these scrolls that is like super interesting to develop. And it seems like it's one of the ideas for adding lore to the plane. Like there could be a set where it's just sagas of Tamiyo's stories. And that would be freaking awesome. That would be a super cool secret layer is like mm. scrolls of Tamiyo. As always, please hire us, wizards. I find it really interesting that Emrakul's reaction wasn't like, oh, clearly I'm not wanted here, like passive-aggressive, like, fuck y'all, I guess I'll leave. It was, you don't want me yet. Yeah. Which is the, the different. Yet, the yet is really scary. I think it's like... It's big Psychovitch vibes. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking it has to do with the way she was summoned. Because Nahiri specifically brought... Emrakul to this plane and we know the Eldrazi are pulled to planes rich in mana and from the sounds of it Innistrad has a lot of stuff going on but it doesn't seem to have any more mana than any other plane so it was basically like she got a huge welcome mat she showed up and was like hey everyone and everyone's like ah and so Emrakul's like well you, you invited me here like you called me I don't think it goes into kind of what what's going on in uh, Ulamog and Kozilek's head we don't know to the level of sentience they have, but to be this large, there has to be something going on. So the fact that Emrakul is able to kind of put these visions together and have this idea, it one, it makes me really want to go back to the original Rise of the Eldrazi block lore and see how is Emrakul treated there. Because like they did a lot more and didn't stop until they were stopped. And this is the same being. So is it like, did she think she was welcomed on Zendikar and not here? And then what is kind of causing that difference? And then the yet makes me think like, yeah, things are not fully great for Innistrad. And even if she's in the moon, like her effect is still going to be somewhat felt. So is it just once the plane is insane enough, then I show up and everyone's going to welcome me? <laughs> even though that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. Yeah, that's always something that's been interesting about the Eldrazi is that like, even though obviously they're like the the antagonists in several of these stories, they're not like devious bad people like the Phyrexians or like Nicol Bolas's. They're like these like weird, just unstoppable forces of nature and kind of seeing what sort of sentience they have and how that goes along in the greater scheme of thing. And like, it'd be interesting to see, cause we've only seen these two planes that have interacted with the Eldrazi. If there was like other planes that had that sort of history that we could sort of see what's going on. Like maybe there is some sort of greater, um, like process or sort of thing that's going on where like Emrakul's like, nah, like 
this is my job. This is what I do. Like the, you know, the cleanup step, like when, 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 when X, Y, when X, Y, Z conditions are fulfilled, I know that I, I go and I do the thing. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to see. And then also what the sort of sentience is behind when they're converting and transforming a plane. All of them is definitely something that we need to know more about. Um, but I definitely can wait a few years before we have more Eldrazi in our in our magic sets. So, so I think uh, two of the things to to kind of point out. Um, one is, I believe it's mentioned once of a plane that the Eldrazi were at, kind of like when their threat was discovered, and it was completely decimated. And like the Eldrazi had completely destroyed it. But something else to kind of keep in mind, and maybe I'm, I'm missing like one story beat, and that would kind of change this entire hypothesis. But when the threat of the Eldrazi was discovered, Soren, Ugin, and Nahiri came together and they basically elected Zendikar to be the place where the Eldrazi are lured. So it wasn't it wasn't even like the Eldrazi were there and now we have to stop them. Like they pulled them to the plane because they knew it had the power to contain them. So again, like both mm. examples that I think we have of the Eldrazi showing up are when they are kind of convinced to go there and then bad things occur. So it would be very interesting to kind of explore the idea, uh, like you said, Julian, of what happens to a plane if they're brought there naturally? Like what brings these Eldrazi to a plane of their own volition? Maybe they're at, that actually isn't the thing. Like maybe they are just chilling in the blind eternities doing their own thing. And then it's just when these meddling planeswalkers like have, you know, this, this uh, consciousness of the fact that those are there. And then sending out, you know, whatever sort of signal flare yeah. might work, you know, whether it's a, a spike in mana or something. So maybe they're not even supposed to be on planes, but now that someone has kind of opened Pandora's box, shit's just going to get continually fucked until whatever. I feel like it could be, like, sort of like if someone just, like, took, like, a couple sheets of paper and, like, threw them on the ground in, like, your house, and, like, you would eventually just accidentally end up stepping on them. And so where the the Eldrazi are meant to exist sort of in the space in between in like this this higher dimension. And they'll just accidentally wander into this these planes that are just thin slivers of the blind eternities. And so they they just accidentally are like, ah, ooh, oh no, I'm here. Oh sorry. Whoopsies, I'll leave. Oh, you're all dead. Oh, that's my bad. <laughs> um But even beyond that, yeah, I think it's interesting an interesting theory that like there is some reason behind their existence and that like they serve a purpose or have a job. Namely, it'd be very interesting in like, like a final resolution of like, if they ever wanted to like finish the story of magic entirely uh, and then just make Fortnite content, um, <laughs> have like the Phyrexians and the Eldrazi meet and have this be something where like the Phyrexians are like, Oh, like this is actually what we wanted. And then hail Emrakul with like, this is everything we've ever sought is to be corrupted into like these perfect forms of flesh. That would be interesting. It would definitely be, or like, maybe they hate each other. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like the uh, you they know, serve the unstoppable roles. force meets the uh, immovable yeah. object. You know, I think it'd be super cool. Like from a story, and I know this is this is careening towards the territory I enjoy, which is all Eldrazi all the time, as opposed to you know. Innistrad, the thing that we were discussing earlier, but if we could get like a, a lower cost legendary version of Amiria, the angel, as kind of like the, the spokesperson of the Eldrazi, or this kind of, you know, humanized representation of these massive monsters, and like we see that again, the spokesperson who is these monsters, but... Okay, well, as much as I actually hate the Eldrazi, I could 
talk at length about all sorts of questions and, and uh, theories and hypotheses. But I think a couple things that I do want to mention before we cut out is important things that come from mm-hmm. Shadows over Innistrad Block, Shadows over Innistrad Eldritch Moon uh, that are now leading into the set that's coming up, which is probably coming out in a few days by the time y'all hear this. So now we no longer have Avison, we no longer have uh, Bruna, and we no longer have Gisela. Those were three of the main angels. Uh, we only have Sigarda left. So with only Sigarda holding down the four, and also now Emrakul's in the moon, the moon is messing up the day-night cycles, and that is leading to lots more baddies, lots, you know, extended lycanthropy. Is that the proper word? Yeah, yeah. More werewolves. And everything, all the monsters tie back to the Innistrad's moon in some way. And since the cycles are getting screwy, it, it gives the monsters more time to kind of come out and play yeah exactly and also pretty much also a majority of the angels have been destroyed because they were corrupted or within the broods of those now fallen angels so there's a lot less protection and also more juice for the bad people so that's kind of where we're we're coming out of mm-hmm. also soren might not be here either he might still be on ravnica or, or somewhere else chasing the Heri around you know the blind eternities or whatever Maybe. Well, was there an ever was there ever a, a, a resolution to their fight on War of the Spark? I know they had that one card, yeah. which was like them Single having this combat. epic sword battle. As far as and I, I was like, please tell me more. As far as I want to rely on the novelization of War of the Spark, that book basically had them just fighting in the background. Like neither contributed anything to the fight against Nico Bolas. They were just interested in fighting each other. <laughs> it would just be like the story occurs, and then they're just like zoom zoom. I'll kill you first. Yeah. So that's kind of whack. You, they're like, they're like, all right, well, we need to have this final fight. Where should we do it? Um, I don't know. Maybe like in the middle of this war. That seems fine. <laughs> we need these two other planeswalkers for the colors. Uh, yeah. Bring them in. Sure. Yeah. That was, yeah. That whole set was just like, all right, well, we got to have like multiple planeswalkers in every color slash color combo. And they were like, oh, so you, you just want all of them. then? <laughs> yeah. Screw the story. They're, they're just all here. Like everyone's taking a quick. You know, it's like a filler cameo, episode. Yeah. Of, yeah, it's not canon. It's like a filler episode. But it is canon, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like somehow. R.I.P. Dak. I know. What a what a waste. Well, anything else we want to mention, Chev? No, I think that sums up for uh, Innistrad. Obviously, we had to cut some content for time. So if we cut your favorite, let us know. I know the story of the Gitrog monster is a pretty solid one. And honestly individually terrifying as a concept it's basically just a giant hypno toad but really like there's a ton to innistrad let us know your favorite lore moments especially if we miss them um but i think that's i think that's it sweet well um before we before we go into the the end thing of course our deal mm. to you know if you listeners are out there and you want to have your content on our pod um reach out to us this will be the second week that we're running the Send us a deck list and tell us if you're a, a listener long time or just passing through and we will either turn that into an article, a write-up, or include it in an episode of the pod, kind of like we did Sakama, kind of like we did um, Thraxamundar. Thraxamundar. So reach out to us and we're, we're more than happy to hear from all of you. It really helps us to know that there are people listening. Makes a big difference. Yeah. For real. For real, for real, for real. Plus, we'll make Don't a big make difference in your Julian's deck. decks all day. Boom. Oh yeah, that too. That's true. We're here to to up. Um, and I do want to echo our game and yours. Decks. I want to echo the sentiment that I offered exactly. last time. Uh, 
this goes doubly for you if you are a friend of the show, uh, if you know any of us personally, uh, are part of our playgroups, are someone who we've spoken to in person, anything like that. Uh, we would very much love to hear from you through whatever channels you can access us. Uh, reach out and send us a deck. We we will oh. we love to talk about our friends. We love to talk about our magic. So talk about our friends playing magic, even better. What channels might they use, Eric, if they were trying to contact well, us? Well, uh, if they're a friend of the show, they would probably just reach out to us via like Discord or telephone or whatever. But um, if they just in general want to get in contact with us, even if you aren't a friend of the show or just want to become a friend of the show, um, they might reach out to us via email at Hexdrinkers. Uh, they might tweet us at Hexdrinkers or perhaps comment on our Instagram page at Hexdrinkers. Uh, theoretically, they can't get in touch with us there, but they can, once they're done getting in touch with us, go to our cool uh, website, uh, hexdrinkers.com. Um, there they can find things like this podcast and articles that we write. Uh, additionally, if you are starved for more Hex Drinkers content, there exists video content out there, uh, including uh, old streams and uh, exclusively produced video content at YouTube for uh, YouTube at Hexdrinkers and Twitch uh, at the Hexdrinkers. Um, what am I missing, gentlemen? Watch it. Give us reasons to produce more. Hell yeah. Give us reasons to, you know, convince Julian to edit more videos because I'm sure you love it. Convince them. Eric to dedicate more time to streaming, which uh, will be a hard fought battle given that Eric doesn't have time to do anything. But <laughs> you, you, you can might own convince a portion me. of Eric's life. Um,. <laughs> I'll tell you how you can actually hold official stock in Eric's actual human life. We're getting into like indentured servitude ter- uh, territory, and that is you can go to Patreon.com/slash mm, Hexdrinkers. Uh, you'll actually you'll actually own a stock of our all of our lives, all four of us. I'm gonna tell uh, you what: if you choose the maximum uh, donation option that we have set, I will do all of your homework for a month. I I don't care what your major is. I don't care what year you are in high school or college or graduate school. I will do all of your work for a month. Damn. You heard it All here right, first. Well, the ultimate perk. <laughs> I think we need to add a new quadruple VIP <laughs> t- tier yeah. then because I think, I think the max option is like five bucks. It's $3 a podcast. So I think that oh, I thought the max option was $5. No, fuck that. I'll do like homework for like one of your classes. <laughs> oh, dang. But if you add that extra, if you add the, that extra two bucks, Eric's just like, it's the all in deal. All right. Well, uh, minus that, there are a bunch of uh, perks to going to the Patreon. Um, you know, everything from getting access to the full uncut podcast, uh, all of our show notes and everything. So once again, just really getting all the details. Podcast uh, a week early. Providing. Oh, shit. Podcast a week early. Um, you are officially a friend of the show, so you get preferential treatment. Um, we will put one do a, a full deck tech of one of your decks on the show. We've even um, got all a, sorts of great a few stuff. exclusive articles on there, I think. Um, patrons have reached out to us with individual deck needs. And we try to meet them specifically in text posts and things like that. So along with the podcast, you're getting interesting uh, deep dives. I think Julian did the most recent one into card draw out of Demir uh, and the best mm-hmm. ways to kind of use that. So there's really a lot of a lot of good benefits uh, to, to becoming a friend of the pod. Um, yeah, if you're into that, if you like what we're doing, if you want to support us, please just go over to patreon.com slash hexdrinkers. Um, every little bit counts. So thanks to all our patrons and thanks to all of our future patrons. We promise to use all your money to buy beer. Maybe some cardboard, but like that's mostly beer. Mostly beer. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Also, we are actually in 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 the beginning stages of maybe creating some merch slash giveaway content. So, Ooh. Uh, being a patron being a patron would be the best way to ensure that you uh, you get. This is some, your time to so get in on the ground. If that's floor. something you're into, mm-hmm. exactly. Come be our angel investor. You know, other things like that. Just don't be our Avacyn investor. Yeah, not that, not that one. Be, be more like, be more like Sigarda. Yeah, Sigarda's Sigarda's a homie. Oh, see, I, I think if we kick off the guitar riff right after, don't be our Avacyn investor. That's that, that works for me. All right, yeah, that's great. I'm going to stop recording then. Stop recording, yeah.